welcome to the weekly podcast of River Valley Church. We're glad you're here. Our heart is to lead people to Jesus and launch them into their God-given purpose. So we pray you would encounter God in a fresh, new way today. To learn more about our church, visit rivervalley.org. Now, let's tune in to this week's message. We have something we call Home Team Weekend happening across all our locations here at River Valley Church. And, and here's what it is. It's a vision from Pastor Robin Becca to carve out some space for those needed, diverse, and um, really young voices that are a part of our community and our church. And so uh, I have just the distinct honor of being able to be a part of that weekend with our online campus. And I, I just love what's happening with online. We have people watching, not just here in Minneapolis, where Valley Church is located, but we have people from all over the country, all over the world. And so you're a part of this community that is, is doing amazing things together for the glory of God. And so I just want you to know a little bit about me. And the best thing you can know about me is my family. And so my wife and I, Annie, we've been married for uh, just over eight years now. And really the focus of our life, unsurprisingly, is we have three children under five years old running around our house. So it's, uh, it's always a busy time in the Ready household, but we're, we're anticipating our eldest, his name is Laker, and it's not because I'm a big Kobe Bryant fan or Los Angeles Lakers fan. I mean, I am, but we wanted to give our son a shout out to his Minnesota roots. So this is the land of 10,000 lakes. And so Laker is our eldest. He's about to head into kindergarten next year. And to prepare him and almost to prepare us really for that, you know, he's going to preschool a couple days a week. Uh, uh, that's, uh, it's a school that's located just a couple minutes from our place. And um, he loves it. And one of the things that I love about him is that when he comes home after school, uh, you know the thing that he loves to talk about? He loves to talk about his teachers. And he, he loves to kind of say, like, here's what I learned today. Or, you know, I was, I was listening to this teacher and she was telling this kid to do this and this. So he, he's kind of our resident uh, eavesdropper. You know, he always, he's always listening to conversations and gives a nice report back. And, uh, and then he always tells us the things they tell him which is oftentimes, you know, Laker, you got to kind of quiet down. You got to listen up. And he hears that a lot at home a little bit too, because <laughs> our, our eldest, he just has energy. He has inquisitiveness and uh, he's got a good deal of sass as well. Uh, but how many know this? Just going back to teachers, right? How many know this? Some of the best teachers in our lives, they, they know kind of those not so ideal tendencies that we have. But how many know this? They also know our potential and, and they're able to draw it out from us in ways that are really inspiring. And I, I, I've had a couple teachers like that in my lifetime. And the one that stands out for me is my high school math teacher. His name was Mr. Huber. And uh, he, he was just a funny guy. He, he made math fun. Uh, but again, full disclosure, I, I am a little bit of a nerd. So making math fun for me probably isn't too tall in order. But it was more than just a fun class. You know, I remember, and, and Mr. Huber has a soft spot in my heart because he called me up. Uh, he made me better. He tried to make me the best student possible. And as I'm sharing that, the, there may be people coming to your mind right now, uh, people who have had that kind of impact on you. And oftentimes, they're teachers, uh, they're coaches, their parents, their grandparents. There's people that God has invited into our lives that call us up and that make us better. And if we're all honest, like, Maybe something you carry. I know it's something I carry. I, I want to try to be that for as many people as possible. Uh, I want to be the kind of person that uh, brings insight and wisdom and helps people in their journey along the way. 
And how many know that's happening a ton in our school systems? And can I just say this? If, if you're a teacher uh, or an administrator, uh, if you're a professor or a coach, if you're homeschooling as a parent, um, we, we just want to celebrate you and commend you in this crazy season we call COVID and all the things that it takes to keep our families and our students and our communities safe. And so all that you're doing in those official settings in school systems and universities across our country, just as River Valley Church, we want to say thank you for all the sacrifice that you make. And, and here's something I truly believe. I truly believe that our world moves forward. It's propelled forward by the teachers, if you will. And we have an ultimate teacher, right? And his name is Jesus. And I believe Jesus is the kind of teacher that wants to move our world forward in ways that bring light. And how many know that right now, sometimes it can feel like it gets increasingly dark and we need more light in our world? In our Bible, you know, our scriptures, they capture in a very beautiful way this side of Jesus, the fact that he's the teacher. And we're going to look at a story in the Gospel of Luke that I think really highlights not just Jesus as a teacher, what he communicates, but I think it shows off his style as a teacher. You know, every teacher kind of has a way of how they impart wisdom or share knowledge. And, and if I could put a descriptor to the style of Jesus, I'd call him a, a, like an elusive storyteller. Uh, elusive in the sense that like oftentimes Jesus found himself in these uh, in these arguments, if you will, and he was always able to kind of maneuver his way out of it. And, and his kind of, his elusiveness came out when he would just redirect questions back to other people. They would try to trap him and he would just ask the question right back. And then he was a storyteller because one of the things he loved to do was share truth through the power and through the vehicle of a story. And you may know those stories as parables. And uh, we're gonna look at probably one of the most famous parables Jesus ever shared. And it's found in the Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter 10, and we're going to read verses 25 through 37. And so if you have a physical Bible like I do, you can get that. If you, if, you're on a, if you have a smart device or smartphone, you can pull it up there. Maybe you're watching on your browser. Just pull up a new tab and look with me at Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. One day, an expert in the religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, how does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? I'm just going to stop there. And, uh, you know, there's a really interesting uh, descriptor here. It said that this religious leader stood up and it was actually a sign of respect. Uh, one, one of the things that you and I are probably aware of in teaching settings in, in our culture is like, just like I'm doing here, the teacher is kind of standing up front and they're sharing to an audience that normally is sitting down. In the ancient world, the teachers would actually be seated and their audience would be seated as well. But if you had a question or a comment, you would stand as a sign of kind of respect and you would then address a question. So Jesus would find himself in these kind of situations all the time. And many people would stand up to Jesus, not necessarily in a negative way, but they would wanna ask him a question. But one of the things that, as we're going to read through this story, that I think is important to note about this particular religious leader, an expert in the law, is I think he, even though his outward posture showed respect, I think he was trying to trap Jesus. He was trying to test him. And so if, if I could kind of give you my take on maybe the psychology coming from this expert in the religious law, I think he looked at Jesus and said, where's his credentials? I mean, I'm an expert. He's from Galilee. Nothing good comes from there. That's a Galilean nobody. 
and he's trying to teach us. So let me show his audience and let me show him who really should be doing the teaching here. So here's a question for you, Jesus. How do you answer it? And here's the elusiveness of Jesus, right? He does what he always does. He volleys it back. What do you think? You have the question. Maybe you have the answer. So verse 27, the man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. And so I kind of imagine his response to the question, what should I do to inherit eternal life? His response seems almost instantaneous. Here's the answer. And Jesus said, yeah, you're right. That's the answer. And I'm sure he felt pretty good. But then the text continues on. Verse 29, the man wanted to justify himself. And so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells a story. Jesus replied with a story. Verse 30, a Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but he, when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side and passed by. A temple assistant, you may see that as a Levite in your translation, walked over and looked at him lying there, and he also passed by on the other side. And so Jesus sets up this story where a man is taking what was uh, oftentimes a very treacherous path. It was about a 15-mile journey from Jerusalem to Jericho, and it was a downhill trek. And it was surrounded by these crevices and mountains. It was notorious for thievery and violence, and this Jewish man, unfortunately, succumbed to those risks. But it seemed like people that were going to help him came along the way but they didn't do anything about it. People that exemplified the presence of God, people like a priest working in the temple, people like a Levite assisting in the temple, but for some reason, maybe justifiable, maybe they had duties to perform, maybe they didn't want to be ceremonially uh, unclean, but they don't do anything. They just walk by. And then in verse 33, a despised Samaritan comes along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion on him and he went over to him and he soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine. He bandaged them up and he put the man on his own donkey. He took him to an inn and he took care of him. Then the next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. And if his bill runs any higher, I'll pay for it all the next time I'm here. And then Jesus in verse 36 asked this question. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? You know, the Samaritans are a really interesting group of people for this Jewish audience. And uh, the history of the Samaritans is that they were people that were connected to the Jewish family. Uh, you know, back in the time of King David and Solomon, there were these 12 tribes that kind of had a united front. And then there was a dispute. There was a civil unrest and there was a split in the community. And 10 tribes went to the north. Uh, they called themselves Israel. Two tribes stayed in the south in Jerusalem. They called themselves Judah. But eventually, the northern tribes uh, intermingled. You know, they, were, they started to worship other gods. They started to intermarry with different people groups, and they eventually became the Samaritans, a whole different people group, but still having a bloodline and a lineage that traced back to the Jews. And so from the purebred Jews, they always looked at the Samaritans as they were like half-breeds. And they were false God worshipers and they were in like a disgraced land. They left us. And so I just want you to hear this. When a Samaritan becomes the hero of this story, the Jewish listeners, they hated that. 
honestly, like we love this story because of the power and the beauty of people being compassionate. But his original hearers, they probably, they thought it was the worst story you could ever hear. Why in the world is the hero the person we despise the most? And Jesus responds back with this question, hey, which one of those three that I talked about, which one was the neighbor? And the expert in the religious law, just catch this with me as I finish up this text. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy, he couldn't even muster up the strength to say the word Samaritan. Couldn't even get it out of his mouth. And then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. You know, this, uh, this religious leader, he had Jesus kind of won over after the first exchange. You know, I got the right answer, but he just had to ask one more question. And who is my neighbor? But that isn't really the question, is it? The way Jesus responds back is he wants to answer a different question. And the question is, how do you act neighborly? That's the better question. And the answer is, you show compassion, care, grace, and love to those in need. And a neighbor isn't just the people that live by you. They aren't just the people who are like you or who like you. Neighbors are, the definition of neighbor is almost dramatically widened in this parable and in this story. And here's what it includes. It includes every tribe, language, people, nation, political persuasion, skin color, sexual orientation, background, education, social status, income level, age, ability, intelligence quotient. I could go on and on. A neighbor is everyone, everywhere. A neighbor is anyone in your way while you're on your way. And this story, if we allow it to shine a light on our own lives, it can expose prejudice. It can expose bitterness. It can expose stubbornness. And my prayer is that the Holy Spirit will bring to our hearts the people that we've excluded from our love and care. And we know the story has that powerful takeaway. But can I just share one more thought? I think this story has another takeaway. And I think it comes from the perspective of that Jewish man lying on the side of the road. And he saw the people that he thought were supposed to be his friends pass by him. And when he sees his enemy coming toward him, he probably thinks, if he's even conscious, but he probably thinks, just my luck, you know, my enemy coming to spit in my face is the last nail in the coffin. But instead, his enemy acts neighborly toward him. And here's what I think that beaten, bloody Jewish man learned on that day. I think he learned that God can use anyone to bring a little hope into our world or into his world. And here's what the master teacher taught that religious leader, that expert in the law in all his pride and arrogance. I think he learned that God can use anyone to teach him something that he didn't know himself. In other words, a Galilean nobody, a despised Samaritan, they look nothing like the people that could impart wisdom or share knowledge or call us up. But I think that's exactly who God likes to use. Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 1.27. He says, instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they're wise. And he chose the things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God is no doubt interested in changing the world through us as good Samaritans. But can I tell you this? He's also incredibly interested in doing things in us. And oftentimes, 
the way he transformed us comes in the most unexpected of packages. And this became evident in my own life. I was 22 years old, and I was visiting a friend who was a missionary overseas. And long story short, we, um, we made some poor decisions. And so I found myself in a dark alley with uh, a homeless person um, holding a knife, asking for all of our money. Uh, we were, by God's grace, we were able to kind of get out of that situation because a security patroller was walking by, and he kind of broke it up. And, and you can just imagine, like, you kind of watch your life flash before you, and uh, I still have, I still carry that a little bit. You're like, whoa, that is not a feeling you want to have. So the next day, you know, we're kind of walking it out, you know, like just take a walk after a moment like that. This is the next day. And there's somebody walking with conviction toward us. Same guy from the night before. Now, I don't know if he was following us or how he found us or if God's providence like wanted to bring our paths together, but as equally impactful was when he came toward us, he slowed, and in his eyes, something looked different. And the first words out of his mouth were, I'm really sorry. And our hearts were racing, and I just didn't know how to process it. But then, as I reflect on it, here's what I learned. I learned that somebody who I didn't know, who made a mistake, he showed me in that moment the power of what it takes to admit our wrongs. He taught me about transparency and second chances, and I had written him off. He was a nobody to me. He was was someone that wanted to hurt me, but now all of a sudden, he became the person that God was using to teach me something about myself, teaching me that it takes humility and courage to be able to admit that we are broken people and we do broken things. And how many know 2020 feels like a collectively broken year for all of us? You know, our, our health and our bank accounts, our stress levels, they, it seems like they're under siege. We got a pandemic. We got civil unrest. You know, there's record unemployment. It's an election year. You know, some of you may be asking, where's the hope in all this? And, and I wonder if the reason we still ask that question is because we look for all the usual su- uh, suspects for the answer. You know, we, we look to social media. We look to politicians. We look to radio personalities we look to experts in the law. We look to people like us. We look to people who look like us. You know, it's, um, we're looking in the wrong places. And maybe our more glaring blind spot as followers of Jesus isn't that there are people we've excluded from our love. No doubt that's happening. But maybe another blind spot is we've written off certain people, certain kinds of people, from being the very messengers and agents that God wants to use to help us see a side of him that we may miss because none of us see the whole picture. There are people who are different than we are. You know, they carry a different political persuasion, uh, a different stance on police reform, uh, a different mask-wearing opinion, right? There's people who aren't like us. There's people who we don't like. But they carry the image of God. Just like that despised Samaritan, just like that person that held me up, but then later apologize, they carry the image of God. And because of that, they, God has the potential to use them to reveal something about himself and something about ourselves that we couldn't see if not through their eyes or through their words. You see, the parable of the Good Samaritan to me is memorable because it's about a Samaritan that's acting in a godly way despite being godless from the view of Jesus's Jewish audience. And so can I just say this? Can I say this in in the same way 
Maybe there are people you and I have written off as godless for whatever reason. And God may just use them to shine a light on us and surprise us. Because what we need more of in our world is we need people to build bridges. We need people that are, that are all about helping us realize that there is, that we're better together. We're better when we're unified, not when we're divided. And there's pride and there's self-justification in all of us, just like in that expert in the religious law. And oftentimes what that'll do is it'll, it'll, it'll ex- it's the reason we exclude people but it's also the reason that we can cut off our own growth. We can kind of cut the legs out from underneath us because we close the door on the not so perfect, not so ordinary, not just like us people. And I just have a feeling God likes to use those kinds of people. As Christians, we're a part of a kingdom that's upside down, which means you and I just have to be radically humble if we're gonna be part of it. No one's outside of our span of care and compassion And God can use the people we least expect to shine a light on us. And all that does is tell me, and I hope it tells you the same thing, we just need more of Jesus. Now, I'm not saying this for you not to listen to your pastors and leaders. They're going to guide you in all truth, and God has placed them in your life for a reason. But I just don't want us to feel like that we block or that we miss what God wants to do when we open ourselves up to everybody everywhere in in our community. And maybe you identify as a person that you feel like you're on the outside. Maybe you feel like your opinion doesn't matter. Uh, Maybe you feel like your perspective doesn't count. Can I just encourage you today? God is going to raise you up. Your voice matters. Your perspective matters. What you want to teach us matters, and we need to be humble enough to receive it. I mean, God used a stutterer in Moses to be a spokesperson. He used an outcast in John the Baptist to declare the way of Jesus. He used a Pharisee in Paul to spread the good news all over the world. God can and does use anyone because just as much as he wants to change the world through us as good Samaritans, he also wants to change our world in us, even if it takes a despised Samaritan. So widen your circle, open your hearts. God's going to use you, and he's going to use other people in ways that will literally blow you away. And my prayer and my hope is that we just shouldn't be surprised if, like the Jews of Jesus' day, someone like a despised Samaritan will point us more toward God and further into his kingdom.